In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's talk first about salt. We all know quite a lot about salt. All of us use it all the time. Those of us who have done any kind of study of science, even at a pretty basic level, which would be me, know that salt is one of the key nutrients in our system and also know that too much salt can cause cause problems. But what I was interested and delighted to discover in doing some preparation for this sermon is how much salt was taken seriously in Jesus' time. The truth is that our word for salary comes from the word that was used for part of the pay to Roman soldiers because they actually, part of their salary was paid in salt. And that word that they used then has become our word all these thousands of years later for salary. Similarly, the the word salad comes from what the Romans called salted greens. That turned into salad. A big deal then, a big deal now. And that means that when Jesus started talking about the disciples as the salt of the earth, they knew just how important salt was. They knew what a difference it could make. They knew it could be valuable. You are the salt of the earth. But it was a great image for another reason, because Jesus was at this point in Matthew's gospel speaking to his disciples. So that means he's speaking to the 12 we know and the women who were traveling with Jesus and the disciples throughout his ministry, a group of about four or five. We know about them from Luke's gospel. So he's speaking to, I don't know, 20 people, maybe a few less than that. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. They'll say something similar about light, light of the world. So he takes this little but essential thing and says it matters for the universe. And that must have felt amazing, but I expect it also felt like, really? 17 of us, maybe 20? Salt of the earth, light of the world, sounds great, but maybe not entirely convincing. So you can just hold on to that for a second, because now I want to talk about something that's happened in my own life. In the last two weeks, I have been through the Atlanta airport six times. I actually do not recommend this. And I know there are plenty of people in this congregation who are on planes constantly, and I really don't mind flying that much, but six times through the Atlanta airport in two weeks, not having that. Anyway, I did this the first time. It was because I was part of the civil rights pilgrimage, um, along with some members of the congregation that Ryan led us on. And so we started from Atlanta, and we flew back from Atlanta. The last times were actually because I was on my way to lead vestry retreats, something I had never done before, except sometimes with our own vestry. First in San Antonio, and that required going through Atlanta, and then in Memphis, and that required going through Atlanta. So I feel like I have got the Atlanta airport down. Except that 
I clearly didn't. And I'll tell you why. On the last trip, my flights get getting delayed, so I kept missing flights and having to rebook. And so I was pretty harassed on my fifth trip to the Atlanta airport. And when I went to get lunch, I had lunch. I finally had Chick-fil-A, which I'd never done. I thought, okay, you're in Atlanta. Do that. So I did that. Um, and then I went to the gate to wait. And I had a lot of time to wait. I had missed flights. So I'm sitting there, and they announce boarding. And so I get up to board, and I have my carry-on, and I have my purse, and I'm all set. And I go, I don't have my coat. I have no idea where my coat is. So I think, okay, where have you been? Well, I've been to Chick-fil-A. So, so I go back to Chick-fil-A, and there is the table where I sat. But it's been like an hour since I was there, or a little more, so my coat's not there. And I see um, a young African-American woman whose job is to wipe down the tables. So I go over to her and I say, I'm really sorry, but I think I left my coat here. And I fully expect her to say, oh, haven't seen it. And instead she went, yeah, wait a minute. She said, come with me. We walk over. There's another young African-American woman who is cleaning the floor. And she says to her, Amanda, the coat, the coat. And Amanda says, oh, yeah. We took it over to the Delta help counter. So the first woman, whose name I don't know, walks with me over to the Delta help counter where another youngish African-American woman is working at the desk. And the woman whose name I don't know says, the coat, do you have a coat? And she says, yes, yes, I have a coat. She asks me what it looks like. I tell her they get my coat. And with five minutes to spare, I get on my plane. Except that the woman whose name I don't know says to me as we're making our way to the Delta counter, she says, I'm just going to pray that your day just keeps getting better and better. And at the end, I thanked her and I hugged her and I said, my day has already gotten off whole lot better. So I tell you that story um, because it obviously has stuck with me. But what I want to talk about as I think about the salt of the earth is the radical disjunction that has happened in our country between who we say we are and who we really are and where I think the salt of the earth might just be. The fact is, for decades upon decades, we, and by we, I mean largely white people, thought of ourselves as a Christian nation. And as a Christian nation, we made sure that people like the young woman whose name I don't know, but who actually rescued me in the Atlanta airport, would go to terrible schools, would not have an opportunity for higher education, and would most likely end up having a job wiping down tables at the Chick-fil-A and the Atlanta airport where she was essentially invisible. She would also have a colleague who was cleaning the floors, and of course, many African-Americans who were cleaning the bathrooms. And that is not true just in Atlanta, folks. That is true all over this country. And that, in all those decades, when we've talked about being a Christian nation. 
Day after day, Isaiah says, speaking for God, they seek me and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. We can call ourselves whatever we want, but we actually have to do what God commands. We can have prayer breakfasts, and that isn't going to make us Christian. We can gather in worship services, and that alone isn't going to make us Christian. And yet, here's the most remarkable thing. God does not give up. Although slaves were given slave Bibles, which eliminated all those passages about, you know, the exodus and escaping slavery and eliminated passages like this, nonetheless, over those years of slavery, enslaved people actually did learn the Bible and heard those stories and believed that God was a God of justice. And so through centuries, and it is now centuries, they believed what God said to that band of, I don't know, 12, 17 people, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And the fact is, no one else thought they were the salt of the earth. No one else thought they were the light of the world. Not if the no one else happened to be white folks but they were, and it is because they were, and because they believed Jesus, and actually decided to fulfill every bit of the law and the commandments, which is, of course, to love God with your whole heart and your whole mind and your whole soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, that despite all those years of degradation and humiliation, there was a church that could raise up the leaders of the civil rights movement. There were churches that raised up that no longer invisible to me woman at Chick-fil-A who could offer me her prayers when she could easily have just seen me as, you know, a white lady harassed in the airport, which is what I was, has continued to raise up people who remind us what it actually means to be a Christian. So the good news is, it doesn't take a lot of us to be the salt of the earth. It'd be fabulous if it was all of us, but if it's not all of us, It'll be enough. It doesn't take all of us to be the light of the world. But if a few of us are lit up by the gospel, it will be enough. It will be enough for Jesus.
it will be enough for the world. Amen.